Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is the Anesthesia Learn on the Go podcast series from the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology. In these episodes, we will provide a high-yield clinical review of some of the common topics encountered by anesthesiologists at all levels. The following episode will be recorded by a member of our department at UK. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at UK Anesthesia and subscribe to the University of Kentucky Department of Anesthesiology YouTube channel for our videocast. Now fire up your headphones, relax, and let's talk anesthesia. Periodic measurement of arterial blood pressure in the anesthetized patient is a standard of care. Early techniques utilizing manual cuff inflation and auscultation of Korotkoff sounds were accurate but cumbersome and could be difficult to perform depending on patient positioning. In the mid-1970s, microprocessor technology advanced to the point that reliable, self-contained devices consisting of microcontrollers, pneumatic pumps, pressure sensors, and control software could be manufactured to measure blood pressure using oscillometry. These devices detected pressure variations in an inflated blood pressure cuff displaying systolic, diastolic, and mean pressures on an easy-to-read display. Proving popular with the increasingly busy OR anesthesiologist, automatic oscillometric machines became ubiquitous in less than a decade. Despite their prevalence, there are persistent misunderstandings regarding their functioning. While many facets of the device algorithms are trade secrets, we will review the basic theory of oscillometry that is common to most brands. The design of the automatic oscillometric blood pressure monitor consists of two main subsystems, parts responsible for physical manipulation of the patient, and parts responsible for control, data storage, and data display. The patient portion is a pneumatic system designed to apply varying levels of pressure to a limb. This is achieved with a cuff which must have a non-distensible outer surface and an internal inflatable pneumatic bladder. The cuff must be long enough to encircle a limb securely. It also must be wide enough to provide a uniform pressure over a volume of tissue since the cuff is not perfectly rigid and pressure is preferentially directed away from the cuff edges. Too narrow a cuff will yield unacceptably high noise and bias towards incorrectly high readings. A pneumatic pump must be connected to the cuff, often via a long, flexible tubing, and an exhaust valve capable of bleeding air from the system must be included. The patient components had been developed many years before the invention of the automatic monitor. Indeed, manual blood pressure measurement with a sphygmomanometer and Korotkoff sound auscultation requires exactly these components. It took until the mid-1970s before microprocessor and microcontroller technology had advanced to the stage that the electronic control subsystem was feasible. Function of the microcontroller is managed by internal software stored in the microprocessor. During a measurement cycle, the microcontroller must turn on and off the pneumatic pump at appropriate times. It must also actuate the exhaust valve when appropriate. Measurement of the pneumatic pressure inside the bladder is performed by a solid-state pressure transducer that provides an analog output to the analog-to-digital converter built into the microcontroller chip. The microprocessor monitors these digital values using an artifact-resistant algorithm to determine which readings correspond to systolic, mean, and diastolic blood pressure. Once the readings are complete, the microprocessor directs the output to display the data. 
Other values, such as heart rate, can also be deduced, but they are not essential to operation. Let us consider how these components work to determine arterial blood pressure. The non-distensible outer surface of the applied cuff defines a fixed volume. To put it another way, once the cuff is applied to a limb, no matter how much air is pumped into the cuff, the outer surface will not stretch. Thus, one can think of the cuff as a rigid cylinder with a diameter just large enough to contain the limb and the pneumatic bladder. Since the limb is comprised largely of incompressible water, any process that increases the volume of the limb tissue must compress the pneumatic bladder against the outer cuff surface. This compression, in turn, squeezes the air in the bladder and results in an increase of the air pressure within the bladder. This is the key to oscillometry itself. Changes in volume of the tissue result in changes of pressure in the bladder. When a reading is initiated, the microprocessor commands the microcontroller to close the exhaust valve and start the pneumatic pump, inflating the cuff bladder. When the pressure in the bladder reaches a predetermined value, the pump is stopped and the system remains closed with no air entering or leaving the cuff. This pressure is arbitrary, chosen by each manufacturer to be a value likely to exceed the systolic pressure in most patients. Subsequent readings can adjust this target pressure to minimize discomfort during measurements. Assuming the cuff has exceeded systolic pressure, the arteries and veins in the enclosed limb will be fully compressed, emptied of blood, and devoid of blood flow. The remaining tissue volume, that is muscle, fat, skin, bone, and so forth, is fixed, so the measured cuff pressure will be constant. After an arbitrary, manufacturer-chosen timeout period, if no change in the measured pressure has occurred, the microcontroller is commanded to open the exhaust valve transiently, allowing the pressure to decrease in the cuff by a small amount. Pressure is again monitored for the timeout period. If no pressure variation is detected, the valve opens and the pressure drops again. At some point, the pressure in the cuff will decrease below systolic pressure. When this happens, a small quantity of blood will be able to flow through the compressed arteries. This blood increases the volume of the enclosed tissue, resulting in a brief increase in the bladder pressure. The microprocessor will detect this pressure deflection, but it will not yet commit this value to the systolic pressure register. As part of the artifact rejection algorithm, many manufacturers require two consecutive deflections of roughly equal magnitude within the timeout period before considering them a true signal. In this way, other sources of pressure changes, such as an accidental contact with the cuff, can be rejected by the computer as noise. Once deemed legitimate, the pressure value of this first pair of deflections becomes the reported systolic pressure. Note that this value was directly measured based on physical processes. Following the confirming second deflection, the exhaust valve is immediately opened to deflate the bladder by another small amount. The computer continues to measure pressure deflections and deflate the cuff in a cyclic fashion. As the cuff pressure decreases, the amount of time in each cardiac cycle during which the arterial pressure exceeds cuff pressure grows longer. 
This means the quantity of blood that flows under the cuff increases with each lower pressure plateau, so the pressure deflection increases with each deflation. The deflections reach a maximum magnitude when the cuff pressure reaches the mean pressure, providing the highest signal-to-noise ratio of the whole process. As a result, the mean pressure measurement is the most robust and reliable data point measured. In the earliest designs, this was the only value reported by the computer since it was the easiest to detect, but customer demand led companies to refine the software to provide the now standard complement of three values. The cuff deflation process continues, and the computer evaluates each pressure deflection. When the cuff reaches the diastolic pressure, blood is able to flow beneath the cuff during the entire cardiac cycle since the cuff is not at a high enough pressure to stop any of the flow. At this point, each oscillation represents the same quantity of blood flow, so the magnitude of each deflection is constant. When this situation is detected, the pressure is stored as the diastolic reading. The microprocessor now opens the exhaust valve and allows the cuff to deflate completely. The computer requires the cuff pressure to reach zero within a specified time, or an alarm will sound, alerting the operator to the potentially dangerous situation of a sustained venous tourniquet effect. As machines and software became more refined, several designs were implemented to reduce patient discomfort, increase the speed of the measurement, and ensure high reliability and safety in challenging environments. However, as described, the automatic oscillometric blood pressure machine directly measures and reports values that correlate well with other methods of blood pressure measurement. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have ideas for future podcasts, please reach out to us via email at learnonthego at uky.edu. Don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts as well, on Instagram and Twitter, UK Anesthesia. From all of us at UK Department of Anesthesiology, have a great day.